Well, uh, on that note, hi, Joel. Hi. Everybody, you just need to know that Joel's super spiritual tonight. I'm not. I'm losing it. I just pounded the table. I had my, <laughs> my stupid microphone doesn't work anymore. And then, and then my his house went out. insane. My pow, my I have a I have a, a goblin or ghoul in my house that turned the electricity <laughs> off momentarily and then it kick started my uh carbon monoxide detector and you know my mic still doesn't work and I just told Steve I need to go on a bike ride, otherwise I'm gonna kill myself. So that's <laughs> where I'm at. Sweet. Well, um, I suppose you're wondering why we've gathered you here tonight. <laughs> and that's <laughs> this all started off just as a real quick deal to say that we're going to do a rerun this week. And you know what's perfect about this, man, is what? that um, the rerun that we're going to do is exactly the episode I need to re-listen to. Of course, it's all about you. Well, <laughs> that we all need to re-listen to. Yeah, there we go. Because it, it was Mary Stancavage's yeah. podcast. We've got permission for her to rerun this. Yeah, which is really, thanks, Mary. It's really fantastic. Thank you, Mary. Uh, yeah yeah i'm about to lose my shit so i need to <laughs> i need to be reminded of the wisdom of mary stancavage I'm, listeners. I'm so glad we're doing this even if it is just to do an intro thing yeah. <laughs> i'm trying to be better steve i know you are joel buddy you're doing great <laughs> you're I'm not doing that great looking, looking real good meyer looking real good <laughs> God damn it. All right. So, yeah, this week is uh, brought to you by, um, I don't Rage. know, pick, by, uh, by, by, it's this, this week is brought to you by Mercury and retrograde. There that's you go. Why, that's why my shit's not working. <laughs> I'm going to blame it on a planet. There you go. It, appearing to spin differently. That's sure. what I'm going to blame this on. Hey, that works for me. All right. Well, everybody, um, we'll hopefully be back next week and, uh, enjoy this, uh, blessed rerun of uh us talking to mary stan cabbage it's a and delight I'm, and my venmo is joel.egger if anybody wants to donate so i can get a new mic Otherwise, yeah and and you know email us at ttbbpodcast at gmail.com and instagram at trying to be trying to be better podcast trying to speak clearer woo! yeah all right man all right i love you steve love this you too a good, this is a good thing we we we've got things that prevent us because i don't know if I don't know how I don't know how well I just want to I just want to point out, Joel, that the line's pretty low tonight for self, you know, for, for yeah. off on yourself. Like yeah. my house was weird and my mic doesn't work. It's <laughs> um, pretty wife, low, dude. The, the the mic was weird of the podcast that I started with my best friend and, right. um, and now the you're gonna, house that I bought. Right. And now you're gonna go for a ride on a beautiful evening and <sighs> it's everything's fine, dude. Everything's fine. Nothing's <laughs> fucked here, dude. Well, enjoy the hey, Joel. Uh, the Buddhist uh, wisdom of Mary uh, Stan Cabbage. Yeah, yeah, okay. All right, later. Later. I've got three things to drink here, so I'm almost done. You're good. Hey, you're, you're hydrated. You're hydrated. I'm, yeah. <laughs> I think we're well, going to go. I hit the thing. We're we're going, so we're live. Welcome oh, to yeah. welcome to the trying to be better with Joel and Steve podcast. Um, the conversation has already started. We're very excited. We have a special guest today. Um, this woman is a Buddhist teacher, practitioner, 
um, podcaster, all around amazing um, person who I was introduced to by my brother, Colin. Um, her podcast, she records her Dharma talks from Burbank, right? Burbank, California. And her name is Mary Stan Cavage and give a big, big, big trying to be better. Welcome to Mary. We're so glad you're here, Mary. Thank you for taking your time. Oh, thank you, Joel. And thank you, Steve. Thank you so much for the invitation. It's a delight. Uh, it's a it's it's a delight. I, I'm just blown away that anybody has heard of me outside of Burbank. So, <laughs> well, you have a couple of people in my circle that have ha have listened because my brother and then our friend Austin and then I've turned other folks on to you to your talks. And um, and, you know, they're you you have a way of talking about the dharma that is i think topical relevant and it in it and it's it's really centered on the heart and the heart practices i think some talks and teachers i listen to that are very beneficial sometimes get very psychological or get very you know technical, um, technical or very very heavy in the suttas and you have a way of of translating that in a way that's just been really beneficial to me so thank you i'm really happy to hear that i i i really believe i mean i think that's why i came to this practice is because i was able to translate it into my everyday life and, and mm -hmm. so how do we make it usable how can mm -hmm. you know pragmatic buddhism it's like mm -hmm. this stuff is applicable mm -hmm. i was Buddha listening said, teaching oh i'm sorry go on i was listening to your it was a recent podcast of yours on on the shame one and I, I love, and along with what you were just saying, like the term snarkasm really kind of made my day. Like, okay, I can totally relate to this person. Mm -hmm. That was perfect. Mm -hmm. Thanks. It's just real, yeah. you know, and that, and that's because this, I'm coming to this through Joel pretty specifically. Yeah. yeah. And so um, I've, he's been on this path longer than I have. But uh, I've just I've just appreciated your approach to this because I've listened to all everybody that he's recommended and some of it has landed really where it feels good to me. And you're one of those people. And then some mm -hmm. of it is more of a an exercise in academia almost, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which I also appreciate, but it's a different experience. Mm hmm. Totally. There's the, the broad spectrum and different things apply to different folks and different things attract different people at different times. So it's yeah. good to have that choice. And it's good to find folks that you can relate to. I mean, mm -hmm. that's really important. So so help us out, Mary. Uh, let us I, I'm curious to know. And I think one of the things we're really wanting to um, introduce you to our listeners Um how did you come to this practice and what's, what are the things that led to your work now? And um, I don't know if you can sum that up, but we'd, we'd love to hear sort of how you became a teacher, um, maybe even a practitioner first. I know that I've listened to a few of your talks and I know that you have, you've had some different pursuits here and there. And, and, <laughs> and I, now I know I'm like, and I, and I want, you have a, you have an obsession with baseball and I want to know more about that. And so like, how do you, uh, how, where, where did you come to this, the work that you're doing now? What's the origin story of Mary Stankavage? Uh, what's the origin story of yeah, Mary Stankavage? Like you're a superhero. That's a, that's a yeah, little, yeah. that's a very specific question let yeah. me see if well, I where, can did, where did you grow up, up? Like, like are you a california um, person no um i was born and raised in new york city oh, in manhattan okay. Mm -hmm. oh okay does the snarkasm i come by <laughs> <Yeah>. naturally <laughs> so 
and I ended up when I was 18, I moved to California. My brother lived out here and he sent me an airplane ticket. So you want to move to California? I said, sure. And mm. I came out and I ended up in L.A. going to graduate school at UCLA. And mm. then I stayed when I landed here. And so I've been here a long time, 40 years. And, what were you studying um, then? Like, what was your academic pursuit then? Archaeology. Okay. So I've done time as an archaeologist. <laughs> done time. Um, <laughs> done time. <laughs> yeah. Sentenced to archaeology. <laughs> well, I heard you mention in a podcast that also something about spreadsheets and data analyzation. Yeah, because I worked my way through school by being uh, an office person. And, oh, sure. and, and and when I, I just I partied my way out of graduate school and sweet. into yeah, into, <laughs> it was ugly. It wasn't sweet. Um, yeah, into, well, we, we know we get it. Yeah, we know. I know, you know, <laughs> and into corporate America. And I uh, I that almost sounds worse. <laughs> no, I actually I have to give a shout out. I worked for Xerox Corporation, oh. which is a amazing i can't speak to it now i haven't been there for a while but when i was there it was a really fabulous organization mm. really um ahead of the game uh in xerox many, gets many, a credit xerox gets credit i'm a tech guy by trade and xerox they innovated a lot of things we mm -hmm. a lot of our modern systems are directly attributed to xerox so i bought a respect there on that level Ab Absolutely. And culturally, also socially and, you know, affirmative action and mm. really a lot of things. So I can't say a bad thing about it. I know people had a lot of issues with corporate America, but I had a really good experience with a really good company. And um, that's where I got into number crunching and mm. analysis and organizational stuff. And so that that served me. To, you know, that's how I made my living. That's where I met my husband. He was a tech. Mm. He was a Xerox repairman. Mm. And um, and then um, I, I I mentioned that while well, I'm in recovery, too, and that's mm. how in part of the and got sober through 12 steps and that they talk about meditation there, one of the prayer and meditation. And so I started getting interested in it, you know, 30 over 30 something years ago, but I never studied it formally mm -hmm. i just kind of did it on my own mm -hmm. and then um i started reading some books pema chodron i think was the first uh buddhist book i remember reading and it just was like whoa it was like light bulbs went off yeah and i said this is my program this mm -hmm. is what is what i'm trying to do with my life mm -hmm. um i said yeah this is it and um I didn't do too much formally. I think the first real formal practice I did was Sharon Salzberg's Loving Kindness. I read mm -hmm. that book and I, I did it. I mm -hmm. did it solidly for a year. And I um, surprisingly started seeing some changes in my life where- uh, <laughs> Funny how that works out, right? It's like, they tell us to do prayer and meditation. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I say the words at the thing. I'm That's good. But actually yeah. doing it daily, it's like, holy moly, this stuff works. <laughs> and I, exactly. And it would come as a surprise, like the word compassion was not in my vocabulary, especially for me. And mm. then when I found myself, you know, being kind to myself, I'm like, whoa, this is this is a direct result of doing this practice, doing this meditation every day, because, you know, you, you extend compassion and and the loving the, the heart practices. That's what mm -hmm. she's that book is all about. 
And then um, Noah Levine moved to Los Angeles mm -hmm. and I read his book and I started sitting with him. And mm -hmm. that was my formal entree into this mm -hmm. practice. Mm -hmm. So um, and then he started a teacher training um, program and invited me to be a part of it. Wow. And so when so, when when did that teacher training start for you then? 2008. So wow. 12, almost 13, yeah, about 13 years ago, because we started in February mm -hmm. that year. So, and that, uh, and that was at, is that against the stream? It was just as against the stream was opening. Yeah. yeah we opened okay. in February, 2008 and we started that, that weekend. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I was part of his first teacher training cohort and mm -hmm. I started teaching before I graduated, before I finished the training, I started a Saturday class, a Saturday afternoon class, which is still going mm -hmm. in my what 13th or 14th year. Mm -hmm. I have to always have to use my fingers to add it up every year. <laughs> I'm, that's cool though, that it's gotten to that point where you're using both hands to count the amount of years that you've been and teaching. Toes. I mean, yeah, <laughs> very good. Wow. So, uh, what, what have you found as a, I guess the transition from corporate America into, you know, Buddhist teaching, what, what is, what does the work look like? I mean, I'm, I can't, I can imagine that you probably get this idea projected onto you of some sort of, you know, um, the difference between a teacher and a guru, maybe this idea that like, you've got it all figured out. And I, and I know from your talks, you're very transparent about all the things, you know, that you're, you're one of those, you're like, I teach theater. When I talk to my students, I'm very open about stuff because it's, it's good for a student to kind of know the humanity. How have you navigated that as a, as a meditation teacher? I think it comes from my 12 step background. Yeah. Um, and the learning how to share and speaking, I had a teach, I had a, a sponsor who was a circuit speaker and when she mm -hmm. couldn't do it, she'd give him my number. And so I did a lot of, uh, speaking and, and so I think I got, got used to that. Plus there was a lot of people in recovery in my Sangha, in my mm -hmm. community. Mm -hmm. So it just was how I grew up in the Dharma, mm -hmm. um, being transparent, uh, that's how I came to it. Cause I, I have seen what you said, talk about listening to other teachers and there's no, there's maybe a little tidbit of personal story, Yeah. but it's very, very, um, Sutta driven or, mm -hmm. you know, psychological, philosophical, uh, driven rather mm -hmm. than personal. Mm -hmm. This is how it works in my life. Mm -hmm. So that's how I came to that. You asked about the transition from corporate America. I had left Xerox in the mid nineties because the job I was doing was not a good job for me mm. and there wasn't any place else to go. So I left for a couple of years and then they called me back and I went back um, uh, as a contract, not mm. doing the same job, but having fun. And I was there for 10 years and then my old professor from UCLA called me and I ended up going back into archeology. span So for <laughs> wow. 10 years, I was doing both archeology span and Xerox. <laughs> and it was at the latter half of this time that I started the practice of, started practicing and studying. Mm -hmm. And then when we opened against the stream, I left archeology span and Xerox and became director. Oh yeah, okay. When we, I mean, when we opened. I think that's a really fascinating thing, Mary, because there's people close to me that are, you know, mid thirties, late thirties, early forties that are kind of having these moments of like, you know, the, the regeneration of their experiences, 
maybe this isn't right for me. Maybe this is, maybe I should shake it up. Maybe I'm being called or pulled in different directions. And it sounds like you've, you've navigated that with a lot of grace, you know, that you were able to, well, you say it now is graceful. Maybe it wasn't graceful then. Maybe talk about the mess. I mean, was that, was that a hard sort of calling to leave some of that behind the stability of that? Yeah, very much so. I, my growing up was uh, full of, I learned how to not be decisive and Mm -hmm. I learned how to not make decisions because I was fearful. What if I picked the wrong one, then I'd Mm -hmm. be doomed. Mm -hmm. I thought there was only, you know, you had to pick the right way or you were screwed. And so when I was um, leaving Xerox, that for in in the mid 90s that first time um, and I had nothing lined up I and I knew that I would never what would I I knew archaeology and this one particular job so I was never going to get hired for anything so it was so much fear um, but I just had to be willing to let go and I think one of the insights I had at that point in time was the recognition that we can't figure anything out and all we have is this present moment. And all we have is what's in front of our face, the next step. That's mm. all we have. And that mm. is just right around the time I started reading Pema Chodron. And, mm. and so these, there was this confluence of my actual life and then the teaching that came into it. And I was open to see it and open mm. to hear it. So I went, oh, yeah, this is it. I think I quit my job and then I read the book and, and just kind of moved into that. But it was it was a painful nine months. I, mm. I think what what started it was I quit smoking. And mm. then I realized <laughs> I, like, I cannot do this job if I can't smoke. Uh, <laughs> There's no way. As, totally as former that. smokers, we get it. Yeah, yeah. I totally get that. It was like, uh, well, that's, yeah. that, I was kind of wondering about that with you because I listened to um, Josh Corda describe his experience wanting to get out of whatever he was doing for a living, his quote day job, and 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 just wanting to just quit and just get just become a full time teacher, mm-hmm. and how that that just wasn't a practical reality. He couldn't mm-hmm. just do that, and so he had to sit on it and and the the path unfolded in front of him where it was just a gradual process Hmm. and that and that was just really nice to hear because it's like it's like the person that gets sober and immediately wants to become a treatment counselor right you know (laughs) i start sitting and trying to meditate for six or seven months i'm like i want to be a teacher you know (laughs) yeah it's really i have to share this with everybody Mm -hmm. and that's you know not something that's going to happen in my life right now you know and or maybe it shouldn't i don't know but that's just it's just interesting to hear people's I'm, I'm glad to hear about your transition and kind of how that worked out. It's interesting. Yeah, that was, that was just when I left Xerox, it was 10 or fifth, four, few, you know, a decade later, 12 years later, when I left to start moving to against the stream. Mm. And that was, um, I was never a full-time teacher. That was mm. my job was director of the organization. Mm, and, uh, so leaving Xerox, leaving a known quantity to move into a job where my salary was dependent on donations mm-hmm. in 2008. And mm-hmm. if you remember what was happening in 2008, <laughs> no, yeah, no. I was I was in the rooms of recovery in in L.A. in 2008. And I, I 
it took a lot of a took took a lot of us out. I mean it, that that yeah. stability, that upheaval. I mean, a lot of folks were coming back into the room saying, "I just relapsed because I lost all this." You know, it's like it was a tumultuous time for anybody seeking anything spiritually to to step out like that and and to kind of take a leap. Um, that's a little that's a little unnerving, Mary, <laughs> and it's brave. It's cool. I mean. It, yeah, but it was, it made perfect sense. It's what mm. I wanted to do. But trust me, my head was like, oh, I would cry in the shower. I would take mm. a shower every day and sob. Mm. And then I went on retreat for four days. And all I had in my head was, what have I done? What if this, if only, what if, if, and then the instruction was just come back, just come back, mm. just come back. And it took a few days. And then I realized, the fear wasn't what's going to happen. Am I going to make enough money? What have I left behind? What have I done? But the fear that when I finally made some peace and quiet is the, was that I wasn't going to be good enough, mm. that I wasn't going to be able to do it, which is not anything that I was worried about. Right. And I think that's a, I mean, I know that I stepped away from kind of a stable job into something very unstable. And now it's very stable as a full-time professor, but I remember all of those insecurity and Steve has talked about his recent new position with that. Like, I'm not going to be good enough. It's not going to be, it's not going to work. I'm going to screw this up. It's almost like we, yeah, we want to self-sabotage this so that when it does fall apart, we can say, see, see, <laughs> you know, totally. but, we, but I, what the, pra what the practice has taught me is to trust yourself, to be kind and loving, but to trust yourself a little bit, which is, I'm sure that message is in, embedded in recovery. I just missed it. I didn't hear it. And I'm grateful I found it elsewhere to then apply back to recovery. But well, um, that's the, you, you kind of something I wanted to bring up is, and Mary, you started off the talk with this kind of is that I did not start having what I would consider actual compassion, especially for myself, but for mm -hmm. others uh, until this last year. And I'm almost 50 years old mm -hmm. and I've been in recovery for 20 plus years. Mm -hmm. And so, and that is directly attributable to literally just sitting for starting with 10 minutes a day. Mm -hmm. And, and, and Sharon Salzberg gets a lot of credit for that, that loving kindness meditation. And I'm just, I mean, I'm just kind of crossing the precipice on all that, but it's real like that. The level of, I'm almost getting misty eyed here. Just the level of peace and acceptance that I have for myself as a human being is exponentially greater than it's ever been because of this. Beautiful. Yeah. And, 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 it, and so that's why I've been thinking about this, just kind of leading up to this conversation. Like I don't, I can't, I, I feel kind of silly saying this, but like, I can't say that I'm a Buddhist because I don't know enough to know, like, when, when does that happen? Do I get a yeah. badge? Like, do I <laughs> you know what, how does that work? When do we get the patch, Mary? Or, or says... whatever, you know, uh, like I don't have a Sangha besides Joel, <laughs> although, although I do kind of in the recovery community, I just wouldn't yeah. call it a Sangha because it's yeah. not technically Buddhist. I have the fellowship, mm -hmm. right? And, and we're all kind of on that sort of on a spiritual path, but this is a different thing that mm -hmm. is really, really just blown the lid off mm. the possibilities for my life. I feel like in the last year, in the year 2020, in the middle of a global pandemic, 
my life is wide open mm. and it's the best it's ever been simply because of this. Mm. Mm. Go figure. <laughs> all because all because of asking Joel a question about impermanence on a bike ride a year ago. Oh, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> like really like because and that was a really vulnerable moment for me because I yeah. knew that he had been doing this for a while yeah. and I had watched his aura change like mm -hmm. i just literally watched his demeanor change and there's got to be something to this so that's kind of why i started just doing a little meditation i just said what mm -hmm. is it? and it was i had a vulnerable moment asking my friend of almost 20 years in all seriousness and humility tell me about impermanence mm -hmm. right Beautiful. and he just did and that's yeah. maybe something you haven't picked up on is that Joel and I have been through a lot together over yeah, the years. Yeah, we have. <laughs> and so well, it's anyway. like Steve and I are like old, we're sober running buddies from day one yeah, for, yeah. for the most part. Awesome. So, but so, so like I mean, that, but that was a thing where like, we've known each other a long time and we've been through a lot, but it was, and I don't even know if I've told you this, Joel, that like, it was a real, like, I really had a moment of like, do I, do I cross this precipice mm. and ask this question? Mm. Right. Like that was a, that was a real thing that went through my head is like, I almost didn't. Yeah. Next level. That's yeah. next level. And I, I, Mary, can you address that as, as sort of the, the official teacher in the room? What is, <laughs> what is that? Is, I mean, there's, is there a, there's not a Rubicon to cross. I mean, there's not, is there, is, what does it mean to, to what is the difference between sort of just practicing mindfulness, maybe sitting a here and there, and actually committing to a, a path, a, a chosen path. And when is it okay to call yourself that? I mean, is there, are there any hard and fast rules that you, that you, that you teach? No, in my practice, there's, I mean, I don't always call myself a Buddhist either. I am not crazy about labels. Mm -hmm. And um, I, I, I say I'm a practitioner. I mm -hmm. teach Buddha Dharma. I, I, I practice Buddhism, but I, sometimes I say I'm a Buddhist. Sometimes I don't say I'm a Buddhist. So it's, I don't, I don't, it's a label. Yeah. So I'm not worried about it. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's an internal commitment. I mean, because I have seen the dramatic transformation in my life, mm -hmm. I have seen the dramatic transformation in other lives. Steve, you're talking about it. You can't. You have had a dramatic transformation in your life, and you came to that because you saw the transformation in Joel's life. Mm -hmm. So that you know that 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 continuation of of awakening and liberation, even on a on a little scale, is is how this works. And so. Um, I don't know if there's a river to cross, but for me, it's, I, I saw, I started doing it and then I was just hooked. And then it's like, I've gone too far to turn back. So mm. maybe I've crossed the river without even being aware of it, but I can't mm. not do it. It's like when you can't, you can't unsee something. I mean, I'm sure I could, you know, put a bag over my head and live in a closet. <laughs> But I, it just doesn't seem right. It just mm. doesn't. It just doesn't make sense in my world that I would want to walk away from this. Mm. Because, from my experience, I'm kind of I'm kind of in that spot that you, where I'm kind of like, how did I get here? Like, what I am, I am, I am. Yeah, there's. It would be really hard for me to go back over the spikes because if I were to turn around and back up over the spikes, I'd tear my tires up. 
So it's, there's this moment of like, well, there's momentum here. And, and if you're with yourself throughout your whole experience, you, you can't deny the benefits because you've, you've celebrated them, you've honored them, you've shared them. It's like, these things are, these things are true. And I can't, I can't wish them away or believe them away or sweep them under the rug because the benefits I feel, it's a somatic feeling that I can't, I can't undo that because it's just true because I've observed it, which is part of the practice, you know? So it's, it works like that. Yeah. And, um, the, what was I going to say when you're talking about it? It's a, you can't, you've seen it and I don't remember. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that's, isn't that great? Well, it must Joel, not was a, talk, it, Joel was talking. It reminded me is, that's I mean, very similar to the recovery experience. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just very, it's, there's a parallel there. It's like, I can't like, why would I go back to that old yeah. life? Oh, right. Because that's what I do when I'm not in recovery. Yeah. Right. And that, maybe right. that's that's where the difference lies mm. is that there's a, a, a powerlessness about addiction that maybe doesn't apply to Buddhism. Mm. I well, don't know. I, I can, think I can get pretty so. hooked. I mean, if you give me away from practice long enough, I'll get hooked on video games, sugar, oh. chocolate, you know, it like, doesn't mean we don't get hooked. Right. But I think there's this awareness that I know there's a different way. And right now, maybe I've been doing it a while because I stop and I go, oh, I've been doing this a while. That's always mm. weird when it creeps up on you. But I, I, it's like there's so much less suffering in my life. Mm. So this, the, the, the outside really hasn't changed that much. Mm -hmm. I've been living in the same house for 21 years. I've been married for 30 something years. I mean, stuff is the same. Isn't my, that interesting? My Twenty-two-year-old Honda has three hundred and ten thousand miles on it. <laughs> but I, my internal experience is night and day. Why mm. would I go back to that that small, scared person? Mm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and have you? I mean, maybe maybe you could talk a little bit about your experience with this because I, I am I am at this point where I'm I'm kind of reinterpreting and I've talked to other folks, other practitioners in recovery, trying to reinterpret recovery language and Dharma and how does that all work and trying to really weigh that out. How, how was that reconciliation for you or, or was there one? I mean, we're also in the Midwest where a more monotheistic sort of religious bent is sort of more prevalent than because when I was sober in LA, that was a little different maybe, but can you talk a little bit about maybe the merging of those things, those re that reconciliation? Yeah, I, um, I came into, uh, I was raised a Catholic. Mm -hmm. I went to Catholic school for 13 years because mm -hmm. I, I, I used to say 12 and then I realized kindergarten. Mm -hmm. So 13 <laughs> years. Um, it's asked me why my name is Mary Therese Bernadette. <laughs> and um, so, but it never, it never meant anything to me. It never, ever resonated at all, ever. And so when I came into AA, I had no use for God. And my sponsor said, think of God as a group of drunks. Mm -hmm. I did come to a place of, of uh, okayness with a higher power because mm -hmm. I didn't have to define it. And I mm -hmm. knew it wasn't me. Mm -hmm. And in the, in, in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, there's a, there's a, um, appendix 
called the spiritual experience. Mm -hmm. And that's one of my favorite pieces of the big book because it says a spiritual experience is a shift in perception a mm. shift in perspective mm, it's yep. seeing things differently mm. which is what my experience has always been in recovery mm -hmm. was like oh i you know i'm stuck in my instincts run amok i want you know losing something we have or not getting you know the fear of yeah. losing yeah. something i have not getting something i want I saw that that is Buddhism 101 to me. Yeah, right. So when I read Pema Chodron and, and I don't even, I was, I read start, start where you are. Yeah. I haven't read it in 25 years, but mm. I, so I don't remember exactly what was in there because I lent it out and never got it back. But um, <laughs> it, it was like, this is my program. So I, I was able to be at ease in Alcoholics Anonymous and AA because of the, I was able to have a higher power of my understanding and I didn't have to define it. Mm -hmm. And then when I came to Buddhist practice, it was like, oh, and I was able to take what was, take the match, match pieces mm -hmm. and put them together and say, mm -hmm. this, these two things flow, mm -hmm. you know, take what works and leave the rest. Right. Right. That, that was meaningful to me. And so I, I, they, 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 they let, they live <laughs> side by side. That's I, I still hold with it. You know, every time I read or hear the serenity prayer, I'm like, that's a, <laughs> you can't get more, you know, uh, dharmically sound than that. You know, it's so, it's, it's so great. Sorry, Steve, you were going to say something. I, I was just at all for me, it always comes back to, especially in recovery is just, it's universal spiritual principles. Yeah. Like the right. 12 steps, Bill Wilson, and they didn't invent this. Right. It took <laughs> concepts that have been around for millennia. Right. Like it, you know, admit you have a problem. Ask for help with the problem. When somebody mm -hmm. offers help that might know what they're talking about, maybe listen to them. Right. Clean up your wreckage. Right. You know, continue right. to take stock. Try not to be a jerk all the time. And if you are, because <laughs> you might be, then, yeah. then clean it up and, and then and then try to help people. And realize that your actions have consequences, good or bad. Yeah. I mean, that's like, that's karma. Oh, and that you know? uh, this too shall pass. That too. Yeah. It will. Yeah. It will. Yeah, yeah. And the time is now. Oh, good Lord. Yeah. Mm -hmm. may, may you find him now. Now. It's a direction of like where. Right now. Not, not yeah. a command. It's a now. Mm. Oh, Joel, I that's would... so great. I don't know that I've ever thought of it that, that way. Yeah, when it says that's it, good. May you find him now. It's a it's a direction of where, not a command. Nice. Oh my gosh. That's lovely. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm talking about tonight uh, teaching a class tonight and talking about pause. Mm. And so I went back, I actually pulled out my big book and looked up that page 86 and it mm -hmm. says when agitated we pause. Mm. Mhm. Mm you know, that mindfulness, you know, yeah. four foundations of mindfulness right there. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. And and I, I, my, my therapist who teaches in mindfulness, he, he talks about this and reminded me of this because in, in recovery, I hear a lot, do the next indicated right action. And he, he stopped me and said, what if you thought about it like this? Do the next, uh, do a wise action, like take a, one, a wise action it may not be the best. It may not be the one, but, and it takes it out of this, like, like what you said earlier about, I got to do this perfectly or else I'm going to fail. It's like, well, it kind of leaves a little freedom there. It leaves a little wearing life like a loose garment, you know, that if I can choose a wise action now and then see how it goes. And if I need to adjust, I can adjust. Yeah. Years and years ago, Joel and I and a couple other guys we ran with listened to the guy. Well, you might 
you may know who is it, Earl H. Um, from Southern uh-huh. California. And he would uh-huh. talk about like we would, he would, and I got to put my mic down. He was like, right here, this is where we got to get. We got to get <laughs> right there, right in me. You know, I lived my whole life. Everything was just anti-Earl medication. Get me out of right here, right now. <laughs> and now we got to get right in there. And we would laugh at that and think, gosh, that's so cool. And now mm-hmm. here we are 20 years later, like, oh, that's, he wasn't kidding. Right. <laughs> that's, that's the only thing that matters. And it, where are your feet? Yeah. yeah. And I used to put my hand up in front of my face just to stop myself. It's like <laughs> breaks on. Yeah. Well, and people will tell you to live in the moment. I tell this to my actors, be in the moment. But if, if you haven't spent any time in the moment, you don't know where that is. It's impossible. <laughs> and so that's why we practice. Isn't that the truth? That's like we tell people all the time. Well, like, just let it go and just, you know, just let go on like God and just just do the next indicator right thing. And it's like, I've never lived in those spaces mm. ever. Like, how do you do that? And this is like my journey in the last year or so has been a very practical exercise mm. in that. Mm-hmm. And so that's, I think maybe people that I go to meetings with are sick of hearing me talk about this stuff, but it's like, <laughs> no, this is actually where the action's at. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, maybe, maybe Mary, I'd like to pick your brain about one thing as it relates to sort of labels maybe and, and where people start or start where you are or what books to read. Like, do you have, and, and I'm not trying to put you on the spot. I'm just curious. Do you have an opinion or, um, cause there's a lot of conversation about sort of very secular mic mindfulness or following the Dharma and studying the suttas and practicing as a quote unquote Buddhist. Do you have, is it, are you kind of of the school that, you know, whatever gets you there, gets you there, it's okay. Or do you kind of feel like you'd kind of need to saddle up with, with a practice of some sort? Um, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure actually, I mean, like MBSR mindfulness-based stress reduction is a big entree for folks. And that's kind of been pointed to as the the granddaddy of mcmindfulness mm-hmm. and um my and i haven't looked closely at this but i do know like the mindfulness um mindful awareness research center at ucla is yeah. led by diana winston who's a you know longtime buddhist teacher really solid practice and so everything is buddhist based except the word buddhism And I think the really important part, and you'll probably hear a lot of people say this, is it's not just mindfulness. I mean, that's only one piece of it. Mindfulness is is it's just one piece, but it's not going to get you anywhere unless you have the whole package. I think Mm -hmm. so. If it gets you in the door, fine, but don't stop there. It's the same, you know. If you come to people come to meditation classes at Buddhist centers, but they just stop at the meditation. Mm. I find the ethical piece of it to be equally important, if not Mm -hmm. more so, because Mm -hmm. that's the ground that allows you to have some ease when you do meditate. Because if you're sitting down and closing your eyes and you've got all this crap you're dragging along with you, it's, you're going to say later, I'm going to go find something better. So well, I wanted to address or at least comment on something. I, by the way, I really enjoyed your intro to Buddhism a couple of weeks ago. I'm very oh, glad that you. I popped in on that. Um, but you brought up like, and I, and I hadn't even, I guess I kind of had, but the, like the, 
the the Nazi Buddhist, <laughs> right? Mm. And, and like, oh my God, like that's mm. like how do you reconcile? Then I think like in just a brief uh, uh, sidebar, I'm a huge fan of an old rock band called The Grateful Dead. Mm. In fact, they were probably they were my introduction to spirituality. There, mm. I said it. Mm. Um, but like Pink Floyd. Oh, sure. Well, there you go. Yeah. She, she just uh, showed a tattoo. Yes. Stories about that, too. But uh, like, you know, there's a, a TV talking head person named Tucker Carlson that proclaims that he's a fan of the Grateful Dead. And I'm like, and I immediately thought of that when you showed the, the Nazi Buddhist guy. I'm like, how did how does that? Is that what? <laughs> I, I, I get a little judgmental about that. And by a little, I mean, like, just like tons. Um, it was like, how do you how do you? reconcile that in your brain and that that ethical piece mm. of, of like to 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 and I, I i'll stop but it just that really just inflamed my brain that it's like well and then it's just going back into recovery communities which is that they're populated entirely by sick people mm. and and some people have are more ethical than others mm. You know, that, that's a really excellent question. I mean, well, you have the problem in Myanmar, in Burma, where the Buddhist, uh, you know, Wang San Suu Kyi, who has now been deposed by the coup, but who they've been, you know, committing genocide against um, Rohingya Muslims. Mm -hmm. And so just because it's Buddhism doesn't mean it's, you know, uh, wise and skillful i that's why i i and i think this is where the buddha's line is don't believe it just because somebody said it investigate it for yourself does it lead to suffering both for yourself and for others and if what you're doing is causing harm to others then you need to step back mm -hmm. um and we're all deeply conditioned whether we see it or not there's a there's a monk ajahn sumedho who's if you may have heard of him he's very he was a student of ajahn cha mm -hmm. who was a, a teacher in the thai forest tradition in thailand in the last century and ajahn cha told um Sumedho, who's an american that he had to go be the abbot of the monastery in england amravati which is a very big monastery but Ajahn Sumedho has this 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 blind spot about full bhikkhuni nun ordination. He's mm. like women, no. Mm. And so because it, apparently the the lineage died out, and so it, they can't the nuns can't trace their cells back to the Buddha. Therefore, they can't be fully ordained, mm. and caused a lot of havoc and dissension and divisiveness. And a lot of the nuns left the monastery because it was so impossible to live there. So this man has great wisdom, but this this blind spot. Mm. There's another monk who I really love, Tanasaro Bhikkhu, Tan Jeff in Southern California, who feels the same way. And it's like very wise and skillful, but you know, not not perfect. Mm. And I am not. There's I have my you know I am not enlightened by any state of the any way, shape, or form. I'm better than I used to be, but I still have my conditioning, deep, yeah. deep conditioning. And I think mm -hmm. that's how I have to see it. All these people who are out there causing harm are the last president, the uh, Tucker Carlson, you know, this horrible tragedy in Atlanta the other mm -hmm. day. Mm -hmm. They're caught up in greed. They're caught up in hatred. They're caught up in delusion. Mm -hmm. um, and I can't, I don't wish them harm, but I'm like, <sighs> We, we we have to put an end we have to work to end 
harm where we see it being caused as well. I, so that's how I deal with that stuff. And I, I really appreciate your perspective. I mean, that's one of the things about your podcast and your talks that I've really appreciated over the last, over the last year, specifically this summer with more civil uh, unrest and civil disobedience and, and protest and, and the cry for, uh, you know, uh, racial justice. I mean, <clears throat> there is this, there is this, I guess, understanding or maybe stereotype of the Buddha and it's, and it's just equanimity where it's like, well, I'm okay. I'm going to let go of you over there. I'm going to be okay here. You do you there. And how, I mean, you know, but we, we look to, we can look to Thich Nhat Hanh and the engaged Buddhism as a really great example of how to, how to be, how to, how to try to do no harm, to try to practice the Dharma, to take those refuges, but also be a citizen, how to, how to be a citizen Buddhist. And can you talk a little bit about that, your experience, just as in working with students and teaching over the last year with the pandemic and, and more, it's not the first time we've had, you know, racial injustice, but um, with this recent sort of upheaval and the division, how have you, rec- how have you danced with the equanimity and social justice? Well, equanimity means um, having the, one of the definitions of equanimity is having the appropriate response. Mm. Um, So if you are greeted with, you know, pain and suffering, you, you have compassion. And there's, there's also this impetus to, to help. Um, and we practice for the benefit of all beings. In fact, in, in, you know, the precepts, I talk about this a lot. It's not just don't kill. Hmm. It's like, put down your well weapons and live with compassion throughout the world and to work to end suffering where you see it. So if you see injustice, it behooves you to do what you can. Not all of us can go into the streets. Not all of us can do everything, but we do what little bit we can. We educate ourselves. We talk to our friends. We write letters, whatever it is, whatever it looks like for you, that it, it can be very personal, but to really say, am I doing what I can to end this injustice? Um, and that's, and I, and I, and I, I use the eightfold path as my foundation because that's the wise action is in there. And it's about meeting the world with kindness and compassion, but, you know, not idiot compassion. I think that's Emma Children's um, phrase. We're not <laughs> that, ah, it's okay, equanimity, blah, blah. Right. No, it's like, um, <laughs> it's accountability. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely accountability. Mm-hmm. Um, Brene Brown talks about that. She says, people think when I, you're, you hold people accountable that you're being mean and nasty and you're saying, no, I'm just holding you accountable. Mm-hmm. So it's all about accountability as well mm-hmm. and not letting people cause harm. Right. And then, uh, well, uh, listening, I, I'm a Brene Brown fan and, yeah. and your last couple of podcasts had me thinking about like this idea of, of, well, skillfulness which is like what a revolutionary concept to live like in a skillful way mm-hmm. that just reframes everything, mm-hmm. but that, and then to live in a way that doesn't cause harm to anybody. And I was thinking about like, you know, being well-intentioned, like when I was using and was really just sick, you know, like I, I didn't do that um, completely. Like I was so well, just selfish and self-centered that I, I knew that I was causing people harm, 
-hmm. I knew that I was causing suffering, but I also knew that I was going to continue to do it. Right. And that's, that's a really painful way to live. And so then to be free because I had to, right. And, And so then to have the had to removed and to start to look at, and this is, you know, this is a decades long process now, but to, to, to actually live in a way that doesn't harm others. Like that's the line. That's the Mm -hmm. rule. Like that's a, that's in, in that, in that term and in this context is a new concept to me. (laughs) Right. Yeah. It's so, and and I, I'm, I'm kind of embarrassed to say that out loud, Mm. but on a level like that's true. Yeah. To, to the very small decisions to very big decisions. Yeah. Like we're, we're in my house, we're analyzing our uh, food consumption mm-hmm. and our animal cruelty footprint. Mm-hmm. Like that's a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, just for example, yeah. and just how I, like that idea has revolutionized how I work with other human beings Yeah. again. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm. And, and so um, I, I lost my train of thought, <laughs> but there was a, there was a point in there somewhere. The point well, is, it, this is all really great. Well, when you start, I mean, like to back to something that Mary said um, about, you you know, if you're only going to, if you're only going to meditate so you can be better at, you know, uh, there's, there's, there's army, there's, you know, army generals that are meditating to be better. Productivity. Right. Right. Productivity meditation. If you look at the eightfold path and, you know, I was talking to my sangha last night about right livelihood and, you know, right speech. And when you, when you think about the whole wheel, it becomes this whole other revolutionary way to live the shift in, in feeling and outlook versus just, I'm going to do this to make me better. Um, I, I, yeah, it, it, it opens the scope and yeah, I, I, yeah, I, that's all. That's my point. When Joel's brother, Colin was mm-hmm. kind of one of my early examples of well, Buddhism, just yeah. kind of the way he lived and the way he exists. I'll say exists. He's a present person. He's still sure. with us, mm-hmm. but, um, he always just had this way of carrying himself that was full of humor and insight. And he has, he had a way, has a way, I haven't seen him for a while of, of just, I don't know if wisdom's the right word, but very clearly seeing situations and articulating a solution or a path just very simply and mm-hmm. kind of with no effort. And um, what was the point? Gosh, darn it. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was something in there. Well, something um, about this, you know, walking this path is, you know, there's a, there's so, a, there's so a I, revolution that happens oh, in a way. Skillfulness. Yeah. Colin was my introduction to what a skillful person mm-hmm. looks like in this context. Mm-hmm. Just, and I always, I always like, how does he do that? <laughs> and the answer is, this is how he does that. Yeah. Well, there's one other piece to doing no harm, which I think is really difficult for a lot of people. It's doing no harm to ourselves. Mm. Mm. So it's watching how that storyline in our heads, like you were talking earlier, Joel, about, you know, changing the jobs and I'm the not good enough. And, mm-hmm. you know, that same thing I had and mm-hmm. you, and I used to, my, I, I say this all the time on the podcast, my favorite um, nickname for myself was dumbass mm. and and things like that and that's or 
loser. I mean, just those things that in our mind are old, old thinking, old ideas, things that got implanted and to stop that mm. and to learn to be compassionate. I can have compassion for somebody else much more quickly than I can have compassion for myself. Mm -hmm. So that was a long journey. That's that undefended heart that mm. oh, being willing to open up and being willing to be compassionate towards myself. And the interesting part is the more compassionate I am towards me, the more compassionate I can be towards you. It's mm. so counterintuitive to me. Yeah. I just, I was, when I started experiencing that level of compassion for other people, it was like, wow, it's when I started, you know, softening and being kinder to myself. Mm. Eightfold path right there. Wise speech. You don't get to talk to yourself like that, Mary. Mm. Mm. Harsh speech gone, sarcasm gone. I'm like, mm. no. But okay. <laughs> These are my favorite things. <laughs> it's like makes me who I am. Yeah. Who will I be? You won't know. And but but my 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 question was, am I, do I want to hurt other people? No. Mm. Then I have to put that aside. Mm. And it's been fine. I haven't missed it. And it still comes out. Well, so. yeah. It, there's there's something pretty revolutionary, Mary. And I was talking to my wife about this yesterday. When you can be that compassionate towards yourself, then you always have a safe place that, that your true home, like what Thich Nhat Hanh talks about, you always have a, you have a refuge within and no matter what anybody is doing, whether that's your spouse, the president, Myanmar, um, somebody in Atlanta, that you have a safe place within to start from all the time, where every, where every moment of every day, every breath is an opportunity to come lovely. home. To that's come lovely. Home. Yeah. And, yeah. and if it, and if it can't be there, then you're constantly just giving, you've got that cup empty or protecting or protecting, protecting, protecting. don't get, no. Mm -mm. Well, that, and then Mary's, you know, Mary's uh, website, the undefended, undefended heart, right? It's this undefended, this, this, this opportunity to not put up a wall and to be, to open the rib cage and be vulnerable, be open and be, you know, have this strength. Um, it's the work you're doing, Mary, is is really, really impactful and really gorgeous. And you are of benefit to a lot. You are a benefit to Thank many you. people. And when I when I you know I pop in on some morning meditation sometime, and your your students, I mean, you are of real benefit to the people around you. And uh, I hope you. I, I I know that you know that, and I wanted to tell you that. Thank so, you. Yeah. Today is our one year anniversary of doing this morning meditation. We've been oh, doing it for three hundred and sixty five days. Oh, very good. Thunk it. How, how is the, cause you, you used to just teach sort of, you know, in person in Burbank in LA, mm -hmm. how is it, how has it been opening it up to zoom to the world? What has that been like for you? I've traveled all over the world without getting out of my pajamas. It's been great. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's sad not seeing people, but I've been able to connect with so many more like, you know, all the folks who come to morning meditation. I never did morning meditation till mm. the pandemic. So mm. that's a whole new thing. I still mm -hmm. do my two classes a week, but now folks come who are not in geographically close. And I, I taught in Calgary and I taught in England and I taught in Nashville, taught in Portland and I've gone to those places, but now I get to, I still get to do it. Um, mm -hmm. So but just making it open. And, and I think people are finding that with classes, so many, so much benefit online. Mm -hmm. I'm getting to take stuff and go on retreats too that I probably would not have been able to do 
Um, so, you know, there is that, that benefit that comes. So it's good. It's been good for me. I'm really so grateful for this practice in the community. I mean, mm. thinking about the pandemic, A, without being sober or B, without this practice. No, I just, thank you. I just went to a one-year birthday party last night over Zoom of somebody who got sober a year ago today. And wow. that was like right Amazing. around the time lockdown happened here in Nebraska. And it's yeah, just, everywhere. it's beautiful. Um, mm, well, I mean, I'm, I'm really glad to know that you're your teaching, your experience, your expertise is being shared with a wider audience. And, you know, uh, we, you know, our listeners can go to Mary's website and join up a Zoom class, take, take some classes and, and, and sit with Mary. It's really, I've done it a couple of times and I'm, it's such a joy. It's such a, such a gift. Um, we're getting it's close to the sweet. end of our time, Mary, and I want to, but I, I want to make sure as we get close, cause I know Steve has a hard out here to go do some family stuff. I want to know, uh, you're a Mets fan, right? Oh, please. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> you did that on purpose, didn't you? <laughs> I did. I totally did. I did not see that coming. <laughs> what do you think? Can I get my Yankee paraphernalia? It's like right here. <laughs> <laughs> no, I grew up going to baseball. No, I'm a New Yorker, but I'm a Yankee fan. Yeah, I, I knew that. A lot just... of, uh, is that a Cubs thing I see? Oh, yes. Yeah. This is my Chicago Cubs koozie Yay. that's, yeah, it's holding my sparkling water. So, and I'm yeah. uh, also an Angels fan because uh, I live in LA and I'm an American League person. And the Dodger, Dodger Stadium's like 15 minutes away and I go there and root for the other team. Very, <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, that'd be like if I was on the South side, I'd just go to see White Sox games to root for whoever's playing against the White Sox. Exactly. I, that's yeah. what I do with the Dodgers. <laughs> what do you, um, what are you listening to these days, Mary? What music? What are you listening to? What are you into? I, um, interestingly enough, uh, I started listening to, I found a medieval folk group. Well, they're, they're German, but they do like neo folk medieval oh, stuff. Wow. Yeah. Um, I, I like, I'm cagey elephant came oh, into my yeah. head. I yeah. really love them. Yes, yes. Um, I'm not way up on a lot, a lot of stuff. Um, what are your keys fell into me? What are my, huh? What are your, what are your all times? I know you have a tattoo, a Pink Floyd tattoo. I have a cup. Pink Floyd was my first cat tattoo. And then I have another Pink Floyd tattoo. And this is my Tom Petty tattoo. So my top five are Pink Floyd, the Beatles, Tom Petty, the cure and social distortion. Oh, social D. Yeah, very good. I've seen Social D like 23 times. I got to see them for the first time a couple years ago. And uh, what a show. What a show. I got to see them open for Neil Young in like 1991 and Crazy Horse. And that was just. (laughs) They were. That was awesome. I saw that was the first time I not opening, but in 91 was the first time I saw them. I would love. And when this is all over, Mary, I'll fly out to Burbank. We'll go see Social D together. Oh, yes. I would. I would love that. (laughs) <laughs> or I'll come to Nebraska because they play everywhere. Yeah, please come to Nebraska. We'll bring you out here. What are you awesome. um, what are you reading these days? What are you Oh my gosh, I'm reading all kinds of stuff. I'm reading a lot of um um The Body Is Not an Apology, mm. um Still Here, My Grandmother's Hands, and mm. then I love uh, Murder Mysteries. 
Nice. Uh, and my old boss, Andre Hardy from Against the Stream is a noir Ooh, guy. So yes. and hard-boiled detective person. So he nice. sends me all kinds of stuff. So very good. I, I, I every once in a while I have to pull out my Raymond Chandler stories and, and just, uh, kind of get lost in the old LA. So yeah, that's good great. stuff. Yeah. Thank you. Ah, oh, Mary. What Thank a you gift. so much. What, what a, joy. a blast. Yeah. And informative and just really nice. Yeah. May, may your work continue to be of benefit to you and to us and to everybody. And um, anybody that's listening, please find Mary on what, 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 what are all the things you, what are all the channels that you have? You have a, you have an Instagram, but how can they, how can we find you? How can we connect? Uh, MarystanCavage.org is my website. And then um, Mary Stan Cabbage on Facebook, Twitter, Mary Stan 55 on Instagram and Twitter. And that's pretty much where I am. And then and I'm you, on, and then my podcast is on everything, mm -hmm. Apple, Stitcher, mm -hmm. you know, Spotify, everything. Uh, all the things. I, see, I think it's my name. You can search that my name and you'll find it. So yeah. We'll and you can, and, Anybody YouTube, I'm now uploading my videos on YouTube. Oh, oh cool. very good. Cool. We'll find that. We'll push those out and um, go to Mary's um, website and, you know, have a morning sit with Mary. And if you're in Lincoln, it's, it's only, it's only at nine. It's not at seven, how she does it on the, on the West coast. It's a, it's a little more palatable. So sure. um, what a joy, Mary, I've been looking forward to this. Um, what an honor. What a joy. You are welcome back to our podcast anytime. And uh, I can't wait to sit in person with you someday. We uh, Yeah, looking forward. Thank you so much. And good luck with the podcast. It's awesome. You two are doing a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I'm so you, happy you're you. doing this. It's so much fun. Chunky peanut butter. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And with that, thanks, Mary. 